0: Russian targets are struck in and near Crimea. Mark Centora and Jolie Liston Neil Macfarquhar, Victoria Kim Neil Macfarquhar, Christopher Mele Anushka Podil Video player loading. KYIV, Ukraine, explosions hit Russian targets in and near-occupied Crimea overnight into Wednesday, as Ukraine appeared to be intensifying attacks on Russian military strongholds ahead of an expected counter-offensive. In Crimea, the Ukrainian peninsula that Russia illegally annexed in 2014, drones struck a border guard post in Simferopol on Tuesday night, according to photos and video shared on social media and, geolocated by Radio Liberty, a US government-funded broadcaster. Ukraine did not directly claim responsibility for the incident, but Ukraine's military intelligence spokesman, Andriy Cherniak, said in a statement on Wednesday morning, of course, the enemy must be cut off from Crimea. Just east of Crimea, inside Russian territory in the village of Volna, the Russian authorities reported an explosion at a fuel depot after a drone attack before dawn on Wednesday. Videos showed dark smoke rising from a fire visible on the nearby bridge linking Crimea to Russia. Russian state media reported that the fire was caused by a drone falling on the oil facility in Russia's Krasnodar region. Ukrainian forces have attacked for months inside Crimea, a key hub for Russia's military occupation of southern Ukraine, but the assaults have increased in recent days as Kyiv carries out what its officials describe as the final stages of planning for a counteroffensive to take back seized territory. U.S. officials say the Ukrainian military has been bolstered by training and equipment from Western allies. General Mark Milley, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said that the United States and NATO allies have helped train and supply about nine Ukrainian brigades, including some light infantry units that are prepared to conduct both offensive and defensive operations. The Ukrainians right now have the capability to attack, they can conduct offensive operations, and they also have the capability to defend, significantly enhanced from what they were just a year ago for conventional operations," General Milley told Foreign Affairs magazine in comments, published on Tuesday. While Ukraine has not disclosed detailed plans for a counteroffensive, military officials have described recent blasts in Crimea and other Russian-occupied areas as part of an effort to disrupt Russia's logistical capacity. Over the weekend, a spokeswoman for Ukraine's Southern Military Command, Natalia Humeniuk, said that, an attack on an oil depot, in the Crimean port city of Sevastopol, the home of Russia's Black Sea naval fleet, was part of preparations for the broad, full-scale offensive that everyone expects. Separately, Russia's top security agency said, on Wednesday, that it had arrested seven individuals who planned to conduct high-profile sabotage and terrorist acts in Crimea in cooperation with Ukrainian military intelligence. Among the targets were several Kremlin-installed officials including the governor of Crimea, Sergey Aksyanov, according to the agency, the Federal Security Service, or FSB, the successor to the KGB. It did not publicly release detailed evidence for its claims. Across occupied areas, Ukraine's military appears to be stepping up attacks. The Ukrainian Air Force said on Wednesday morning that over the past 24 hours it had carried out strikes on concentrations of Russian troops, ammunition depots, a Russian command post, and other targets. The claims could not be independently verified. Meanwhile, Ukrainian officials reported strikes from Russian aircraft, drones, or artillery against cities and towns across the country. In Kyiv, the capital, explosions echoed again overnight as air defense systems engaged Russian attack drones, with regional officials saying that all were shot down. A Russian aircraft also launched strikes at a village in the northeastern region of Sumy and drones targeted the Dnipro region of central Ukraine and Mykolaiv in the south, according to Ukrainian officials. There were no immediate reports of casualties in those incidents. The State of the War Escalating attacks Signs of an imminent Ukrainian counteroffensive are mounting as both sides step up military strikes and Russian forces move into defensive positions. Stuck in the mud The unusually wet ground this spring is one obstacle that the Ukrainian military, for all of its ingenuity, is finding difficult to overcome as it prepares for a counteroffensive. Russia's refuseniks Hundreds of Russian men have faced criminal charges for refusing to fight in Ukraine. That has not stopped others from going to unusual lengths to avoid battle. The Pope's Secret Mission After a three-day trip to Hungary, Pope Francis said that the Vatican was involved in a secret mission to stop the war between Russia and Ukraine. Helsinki, President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine arrived in Finland on Wednesday to meet with Nordic leaders, a rare overseas trip for the Ukrainian leader amid the Russian invasion. The Office of the Finnish President said in a statement that Mr. Zelensky was invited to hold talks in Helsinki on Ukraine's defense struggle and Finland's support for Ukraine, among other matters. Mr. Zelensky and Finland's President, Sali Ninisto, will hold a joint news conference after the discussions, it added. Mr. Nini Stout and Mr. Zelensky were also expected to meet with the prime ministers of Sweden, Norway, Denmark and Iceland to discuss the situation of Russia's war of aggression in Ukraine and the Nordic countries' continued support for Ukraine, as well as Ukraine's relationship with the European Union and NATO, the statement said. The Ukrainian president has made few overseas trips since Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. Last month he received a hero's welcome on his first official visit to Poland. Finland, which shares a long border with Russia, became NATO's 31st member state last month. That was a significant blow to Russia's President Vladimir V. Putin, who has strongly opposed the expansion of the transatlantic military alliance. Ukraine applied for NATO membership last year, but there is division among NATO countries about whether Ukraine should be offered a pathway to membership at a summit this summer. As Ukraine is not a member, NATO only helps to coordinate Kiev's requests for non-military assistance and supports deliveries of humanitarian aid. But individual NATO members, such as the United States, are some of the largest providers of military assistance to Ukraine. Russia's defence minister, Sergei Shoigu, called on Tuesday for quickly doubling Russian production of guided missiles and speeding up the replenishment of other weapons and military equipment needed for the war in Ukraine. The defence minister's remarks are the latest in a series of statements by senior officials, starting with President Vladimir V. Putin, that suggest the Russian arms industry is struggling to keep pace with the demands of the war. Mr Shoigu singled out the arms manufacturers as crucial to the success of the special military operation in Ukraine, which Russia avoids calling a war. The actions of Russian units conducting the special military operation largely depend on the timely replenishment of stocks of weapons, military equipment and means of destruction, he said in opening remarks, broadcast on state television, at an online meeting of the leadership of the Russian armed forces. The same issue has been something of a theme in Mr Putin's speeches over the past year. The defence minister, in his comments on Tuesday, singled out the need to double the output of high-precision missiles in the shortest possible time. The manufacturer of the guided missiles, Tactical Missiles Corporation, whose headquarters are near Moscow, is under US and European sanctions. Western military analysts and Ukrainian officials have been suggesting for months that production bottlenecks were among the problems plaguing the Russian military, caused partially by the need to substitute parts sanctioned by the West. Overall, Russian arms manufacturers have been instructed to speed up the pace and volume of production, Mr Shoiga said, noting that any shortfall in production targets had to be identified and corrected promptly. Enough ammunition had been delivered to the armed forces this year to attack the enemy. Effectively, Mr. Shoiga said. That statement contradicted recent comments by Yevgeny Prigazin, the head of the Wagner Mercenary Group, who has engaged in a long tug of war with the Ministry of Defence over ammunition supplies. Mr. Prigazin said in remarks published last week that his forces had only received about one-quarter of the ammunition they needed in the struggle to take the eastern city of Bakhmut, a battle that has been raging since last summer. Some military analysts have suggested that Russian missile barges on Ukraine's cities have been only intermittent because Russia's forces lack sufficient weapons stockpiles. The Russians shot a number of S-400 missiles normally used in long-range air defense at Kiev in January, prompting speculation that Russia had a serious deficit in cruise missiles. Mr Putin made critical remarks at various times this year about the pace of manufacturing. On live television in January, he berated the Russian minister in charge of supervising industrial production for the pace of aircraft orders, including military helicopters, which he called long, too long. In March, Mr. Putin bemoaned the paucity of specialized workers needed to fulfill defense orders, even with some working triple shifts. Dmitry A. Medvedev, a former Russian president and current deputy chairman of the Kremlin's Security Council, has warned that factory managers at arms manufacturers could be held criminally liable for not meeting defense contract deadlines. In March, Mr. Putin signed a decree allowing the central government, in the event of martial law, to take over the management of defense manufacturers who failed to meet state contracts. President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine learned about the leak of classified U.S. intelligence in news reports and hasn't spoken directly to the White House about the disclosure since, he said in an interview with The Washington Post, published Tuesday. The reams of leaked documents, which came into public view last month, contained information about Ukrainian military operations, assessments of its vulnerabilities and indications that the United States, its most important ally in the war, had spied on allies including Ukraine. We did not have that information. I personally did not. It's definitely a bad story," Mr. Zelensky said in the interview, which took place in Kiev on Monday, according to the Post. While stopping short of saying the leaks were damaging to the relationship between the two governments, he said they tarnished Washington's reputation and benefited the Russian military. For us, anything that informs our enemy in advance in one way or another is definitely a minus for us. I don't see any advantages here, he said in the interview, while declining to comment on the veracity or sensitivity of the information contained in the leak. A White House official speaking on the condition of anonymity because of the sensitivity surrounding the leak said on Tuesday that the Biden administration was in constant communication with officials in Kyiv about a variety of issues, including the disclosures, but declined to specifically address Mr. Zelensky's comments. American officials have previously said that, after news of the leaks emerged, Ukrainian officials expressed displeasure but said the information would not seriously affect their war effort, including the expected counteroffensive against Russian forces. Some officials in Kiev even welcomed the leak in its immediate aftermath, saying it brought attention to Ukraine's pressing need for more ammunition and weapons and might push allies to speed up efforts to supply them. The documents included information that missiles for Ukraine's Soviet-era air defenses would be depleted by May, that its position in the grueling battle for the city of Bakhmut was catastrophic and that its military had suffered more than 120,000 casualties. In the days after news of the disclosures, Defense Secretary Lloyd J. Austin III and Secretary of State Antony J. Blinken said they had spoken to their Ukrainian counterparts to stress the United States' commitment to supporting Ukraine and assuage concerns about the security of U.S. intelligence. Local authorities reported on Tuesday that an explosion derailed a freight train in the Russian region of Bryansk, on the border with Ukraine, the second such incident there in two days. The regional governor, Alexander V. Bogomaz, said in a post on the Telegram messaging app that an explosive device had gone off near the railway station at Szczeskia, a town about 60 miles from the Ukraine border, but had not caused any deaths or injuries. A locomotive and about 20 train cars went off the rails, according to a statement from Russian Railways, the train's operator, which said that a firefighting train had been dispatched to the scene. However, the first videos of the derailed train published online did not show any flames. It was not immediately clear what the train was carrying. In addition, a village in Bryansk that lies less than five miles from the border with Ukraine was shelled on Tuesday morning, igniting a fire but causing no casualties, Mr. Bogomez said. He blamed Ukraine's military for that attack but offered no evidence. The claim could not be independently verified. The governor did not cast specific blame for the two train derailments. Nor did Ukraine claim the blasts, although Kyiv generally maintains a policy of strategic ambiguity about strikes on Russian territory. The earlier derailment came on Monday, as a freight train from Belarus was transiting the Bryansk region near the town of Aneka, roughly 60 miles east of the Ukrainian border. After an explosive device detonated, eight of the train's 78 cars jumped the track and ignited, blocking traffic on the line. Rybar, an influential pro-war Russian military blog, posted a video, on Telegram of the burning cars, and said that they had been carrying oil products and lumber. By Tuesday morning, rail service on the line had been restored, Russian railways said on Telegram. About 100 metres of railroad tracks, or about 330 feet, had to be replaced, the company said. The explosions were the latest in a series of attacks to hit the region. On Sunday, Mr Bogoméz said that, four people in the region were killed by Ukrainian shelling from across the border. Russia has used territories close to Ukraine, including the Bryansk region, along Ukraine's northern border, to stage assaults, fire rockets, launch air assaults, and mount other attacks throughout the 14 month old war. The Ukrainian government has expressed growing concern that Moscow is using the Bryansk region to launch drone assaults. A.G. Sulzberger, the publisher of The New York Times, warned on Tuesday that when the free press erodes, democratic erosion almost always follows, delivering a call to protect journalists as fatal attacks on reporters have increased, especially in the war in Ukraine. In remarks at a United Nations event honoring the 30th anniversary of World Press Freedom Day, he urged world leaders to protect independent journalism, whether by securing legal protections in their own countries or by punishing attacks on journalists elsewhere. Journalists worldwide are facing increasing levels of violence. The Committee to Protect Journalists, a watchdog group, reported that at least 67 journalists and media workers were killed in 2022, most during the war in Ukraine or in Latin America. Since Russia began its full-scale invasion of Ukraine last year, the killings of 14 journalists and media workers have been confirmed there, the committee said. A record number of journalists have been imprisoned, including the Wall Street Journal correspondent Evan Gershkovich, who had previously worked at the New York Times. Mr. Sulzberger said he was in Russian custody for sham charges and should be released. Mr. Sulzberger said the vision of journalists playing a foundational role in supporting human rights and free societies was at great risk. All over the world, autocrats and those who aspire to join their ranks have used censorship, media repression and attacks on journalists to consolidate power," Mr. Sulzberger said. That's because gaining control of information is essential to gaining control of everything else. He noted that he was making his statement with little optimism, given the global deterioration of press freedom in recent years. In countries with strong press freedom, a group in which he included the United States, journalists were facing systematic campaigns to undermine their credibility, followed by attacks on the legal protections that safeguard their work, he said. Mr. Sulzberger noted that in Russia, journalists who dare to even acknowledge the war in Ukraine face long prison terms. As of December 1, 2022, the committee found that 363 reporters were behind bars, a new global high that surpassed the previous year's record by 20%. Mr. Gershkovich was detained in late March while on a reporting trip to the Russian city of Ekaterinburg and charged with espionage accusations that the United States considers bogus. The Journal, The Times and The Washington Post ran full-page ads last week that said Mr. Gershkovich's arrest was the latest in a disturbing trend where journalists are harassed, arrested or worse for reporting the news. Almar Latour, the publisher of the journal, said at the event, held, at the UN General Assembly Hall, that Mr. Gershkovich's detention has been a gut punch for his colleagues. It has had a chilling effect, rippling throughout the industry, with other reporters worrying the same could happen to them," he said. But we cannot withdraw from reporting about the world, Mr. Latour said. There's probably no better answer to autocracies trying to squash and diminish journalism than to offer great journalism to the world. Mr. Sulzberger's remarks likewise touched a note of optimism, saying he was inspired by the work of four journalists who have been detained in their countries or abroad, Maria Ressa, in the Philippines, José Rubén Zamora, in Guatemala, Papel Nyang, in Senegal, and, Austin Tice, in Syria, among others. In total, the event was likely to present a story of a worldwide assault on journalists, their work and the public's right to know, Mr. Sulzberger said. And it will only be solved if the nations that make up this body take action. A top Polish diplomat in Moscow was summoned to the Russian Foreign Ministry on Tuesday in retaliation for Poland's seizure of a Russian embassy school in Warsaw, a dispute that has sent relations between the two nations, one waging a full-scale war in Ukraine, the other long allying with Ukraine, to even further lows. In a statement, the Russian Foreign Ministry said it had admonished Poland's charged affair in Moscow, Jacek Sladuski, on Tuesday, three days after Warsaw repossessed the building in cooperation with the Polish Foreign Ministry, saying it was not being used for diplomatic purposes and was being illegally occupied by the Russian Federation. The Russian Ministry warned Mr. Sladuski that his country's actions were a flagrant violation of diplomatic relations and that Warsaw had already embraced an openly aggressive position toward Russia, the Russian ministry said in a statement. Polish authorities had to use force to enter the building complex on Saturday, Warsaw's deputy mayor, Tomasz Bradic told the Polish state news agency PAP. Only after a locksmith arrived and forced open the gates and door to the building, he said, did Russian embassy officials hand over the keys. Photos and videos from the scene showed police officers at the complex as boxes were carried out of the building. The incident enraged the Kremlin. The Russian Foreign Ministry called the move divisive, illegal and incendiary, warning in a statement on Saturday that there would be consequences for the Polish authorities and Poland's interests in Russia. I see no point in maintaining diplomatic relations with Poland, Dmitry A. Medvedev, the deputy chairman of Russia's Security Council, said on Twitter. Poland's Prime Minister, Mateusz Morawiecki, waded into the dispute on Tuesday to defend his country's diplomats after a former Russian official, Pavel Astakov, appeared to suggest on Russian television that murder was acceptable retaliation in times of war. When Russia's ambassador to Poland had red paint thrown on him last year by protesters, Mr. Astakov said, he wondered whether Poland's ambassador to Russia would be found floating in the Moscow River. Such threats reflected Russia's true face, Mr. Morawiecki said, according to PAP. Russia inherited several buildings near its embassy in Warsaw from the Soviet Union, and the Polish capital's legal disputes over the real estate go back years. The city's mayor, Rafał Trzaskowski, said Saturday's seizure of the school building was in accordance with a court ruling in 2016 that found Russia owed over 31 million zloty, or more than $7 million, for illegally occupying it. Mr Trzaskowski repossessed another Russian complex near the school last year with the help of a court-appointed bailiff and a locksmith who brought metal shears and an electric saw. The compound, once occupied by Soviet diplomats, was believed to host Russian spies and was seized in the months after Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine to help serve the Ukrainian community in Poland. Spyville, the mayor declared after the seizure, is now passing into our hands.